Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. So this week on the show, I have B. Jeffrey Madoff. Now, Jeff, as we call him, has had the most amazing career. He started off as a fashion designer. He was chosen as one of the top 10 designers in the U.S. He then decided to switch careers and go into film and video production, And from there, he's directed award-winning commercials, documentaries, and web content around the world for clients such as Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, and Tiffany. He's also worked with private equity firms and investment banks such as Lazard, creating brand stories for companies that are being sold and also for startups looking to attract investments. And his book, which we're going to touch on today, which is called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, is an Amazon bestseller. And it's based on a class that he teaches at the Parsons School of Design. Now, the thing I love about this conversation today with Jeff is just how humble he is for a career and a life that he has created, which is extraordinary. And and the lesson of this episode, if anything, is that sometimes you've just got to not overthink what you're trying to create in business and maybe not overthink what you're trying to create in life. You've just got to sometimes trust the process, be present and lean into things. And what's really great about what Jeff has created, this, this amazing career, is it's not overly strategic. As things have popped up in his life and they've piqued his interest, as I said, his curiosity, he's kind of gone with them. And as a result of that, he's been able to create so many great things. So the lesson I think for all of us here is, Sometimes you've just got to go with it, not overthink it, not get stressed and just really do things that you love, you appreciate, that you're passionate about. And if you follow that thread, if you follow that path, that journey, uh, great, amazing things can happen. So anyway, there we are. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. A great conversation with B. Jeffrey Madoff. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business, another week and another amazing guest. Today, I'm delighted to have on the show Jeffrey Madoff. Now, Jeffrey began his career as a fashion designer. He was chosen as one of the top 10 designers in the US. He switched his careers to film and video production, and he has directed some award-winning commercials, documentaries, Lots of different content around the world for clients such as Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, and Tiffany. He's worked with private equity firms and investment banks. Um, Quite interesting looking at the brand story, um, particularly as those portfolio companies are are looking to exit. And he has an amazing book, which is called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, which is an Amazon bestseller. And he teaches a class at the Parsons School of Design all around this sort of stuff. So it's a delight to have you here. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Nick. Happy to be here. Excellent. There's, you know what? I could have kept on going with your bio. <laughs> I could have started talking about a musical that you've got coming out next year, uh, the Lloyd Price musical, speaker. You've you've worked at Princeton, Wharton School, North Carolina, so many different education establishments. It's an amazing career. So congratulations on all that you've achieved. Oh, yes. I'm very impressive. I'm glad you pointed right. that out. <laughs> And that's okay. It's all right. And I always find it humbling when people do intros, when I go on, you know, other people's podcasts and all that. It's like a bit like, really? Is that me? Yeah. Who are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Take take the compliment when it's there, as I say. Um, Well, as I say, it's a delight to have you on the show. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on Scalp Your Business is particularly, you've just had a really interesting mix of stuff that you've done to a high level of success. And I like this idea of creativity. And particularly when you talk about it in terms of creative careers. But before we get into that, can you just kind of put a little bit more color just about your career and your journey to date so people can get to know you? Well, you know, it's interesting that I've, I've always been seduced by ideas, not money. And so I've always looked for engagement. What do I want to be doing? What's fun? What do I look forward to? And I'm an entrepreneur because I'm unemployable. 
And I've always had my own businesses. I had jobs when I was, you know, much younger. Uh, but, you know, starting at age 21, I always owned my own businesses. And, uh, you know, my decisions aren't always the most prudent business-wise, but they are things I really want to do. So I would warn your listeners in advance that, oh, if you want to amass a fortune, don't write a play. <laughs> Don't write a book. Uh, you know, don't. I'm I love a, you. That's that's. Yeah. Yes, I'm a good negative example of things that you shouldn't do if you're looking to scale up your life and make a fortune. Uh, but if you're looking, you know what I think it is to be serious only for a moment. I think it's you have to define what success is for yourself, and you have to ask yourself that question at different stages of life because it also changes. You have kids. I have kids that are more grown up and, you know, that my criteria for success or definition of success changed as my life evolved also. And I think that, you know, for people who feel kind of stuck, maybe they didn't ask themselves the question in the first place, what does success look like to me? I'm sure both know because of the backgrounds that we discussed even before going on air uh, that, a lot of people can do very well financially and be miserable because they don't like what they're doing and it's not fulfilling. And you get to this, is this all there is? So, and that, and that was, I mean, that was me. I mean, in terms of, you know, just to kind of um, interject in this piece, because I, my background in private equity, it was a seven figure salary, if you want to call it that every year um, based on what I was doing, but I had a breakdown effectively. Mm. And the reason for that is, Everything that I defined success as at that stage of my life was all about significance, how much money I could make, uh, what my title said, be, be that board director, CEO, and then the important things around me, relationships, uh, and then obviously my health came, came coming back because I was not focused on the stuff that actually had a greater meaning. Yeah. So I, that that you, you said resonates fully. Well, you know, I think that I, I was very fortunate with my parents in terms of, you know, they were entrepreneurs, my mom and dad, and as is my sister who owns her own business. Uh, but there was a, the biggest value was placed on relationships and the longevity and quality of those relationships. And one of my closest friends, uh, I said to him some years ago, you know, we've been best friends since third grade. That's a long time. And he's not even my oldest friend. Uh, and I said, you know, if I'd have known the divergent paths our lives were going to take, I would have never invested over 50 years in our friendship. You're of no practical use to me. <laughs> you know, so uh, <laughs> it's, it, I, have, I have aged, but I haven't matured. And I like spending time with people that, we play well together. That's what's fun to me. And so you you said this beforehand about how do you define success? And I know it's one of your questions, one of your key questions. And, you, and one of the things you say is that questioning or good questioning, being curious is an essential part of learning. So I, I want to know not necessarily what defines success for you today, but those different points in your life where you looked at that question and you realized that that definition if you like or the answer to that question had changed can you think about those those key points and and what was happening around those times you know a lot of these points became key points when i looked back because when i was younger and so busy growing a business uh i wasn't thinking i wasn't reflective you know at that time in terms of you know what was going on and one of the things that hit me in my first company when I started the clothing company is I was growing really quickly. And by the time I was 22, I had 110 employees. I had two factories. I had an office in New York. I was based in Wisconsin, which is where I went to college. And I had to lay off a lot of people. And I was by far the youngest person, even though I owned the company. <laughs> and so laying people off, I was acutely aware that they had families, <clears throat> that they depended on me for their livelihood. 
And it was really hard. Uh, it was a difficult time. I mean, I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning because going into work at that point was really difficult because clients weren't paying their bills. There was a recession going on. I had no choice but to lay people off. And I realized what I consider to be a profound responsibility when you are providing livelihood for people. And it's not, for me, numbers on a ledger sheet. These are people and I'm affecting their lives. And, uh, and I had to really think about that, but I thought about that not immediately while I was going through it, but at a certain point I started reflecting on that and what that meant to me. And so uh, that had, that had a big impact. And that's when one of the times that I started you know, sort of defining, well, what am I after? What am I, what am I going for here? Because on the surface, I'm getting lots of publicity in national magazines. Uh, I'm selling to the best stores in the country. And, you know, everything looked great, but it wasn't a lot of fun when we we're going through that really difficult time. And 22, at that age, I mean, that's, you know, that's grown up pretty fast uh, in terms of the emotional side of that. And having to deal with that, as you said beforehand, when did you know that that's where you, that career, that, that first part as a, as a fashion designer, that that's what you wanted to do? I didn't know before I started it. Uh, another dear friend of mine, his mother and my mother grew up together. So I, I don't even remember not knowing him. We were literally toddlers together. And he graduated from college a year before I. And he called me up and he said, uh, listen, I've saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And I was working in a little clothing boutique in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, I said, well, you know, I see what we're selling and I could always draw. So I said, I'll start a clothing company. And I really had no idea what I was undertaking. I think, you know, one of the good things about being young is you're oblivious. And so you'll take risks that you would never undertake when you were older because you realize all of the obstacles in front of it. And, uh, and I think back on it, and it was interesting writing the book as I was thinking about this stuff too. Uh, I think back and think, well, I just happened to be in the store when he called and uh, I thought, okay, I could do this. You know, who knows if I was shopping for groceries, I said, oh, I could start a grocery store. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like I had a specific career path. My, my degree was in, I had a double major in philosophy and psychology and uh, did try to get a job as a sage, but the wisdom factories were not hiring at that time. <laughs> so I, I honestly Google, had- it like Google hadn't been invented yet then, Jeffrey. So, you know, you could have been the sage of Google or something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly, so I, I honestly never had in my mindset, oh, I'll start a clothing company. It's just, you know, there was an opportunity uh, that I, I jumped on, you know, and, and I mean, if I would have said to this friend, I'll start whatever, he would have said, okay. And, you know, all of a sudden I had more money than I ever had at one time and hold on to your seat, Nick, it was probably around 2,500 bucks. So, you know, but I didn't know if that was oh, a lot then, or a little. Yeah, well, back then you're probably a millionaire though. No, I'm yeah. joking, but there's a point though. <laughs> but you know, um, but when it's interesting, this, do you believe then in, in, in sort of concepts like serendipity and fate that, that this thing showed up at the time when you were questioning it and it was the right decision, you know, because it's interesting that you've become successful at it and it doesn't sound like it was overly engineered. Uh, was not engineered at all. I was incredibly naive, but fortunately not stupid. Uh, you know, and, you know, my ignorance at the time, uh, I guess the main difference is between ignorance and stupidity is ignorance you can learn, which I did, and stupidity is forever. So, you know, I, I was able to learn about the business, but when I first I was so naive that when I first started in the business, when I saw fabric on the bolt in a store, 
I thought it was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. So I was clueless. And the the trial by fire, which is how I got my career, every career I've been in, that's how I've, I've learned as I've done it. I had no background in anything I've done. Uh, it's a good thing I didn't become a surgeon, but uh, <laughs> you know, let me cut you open. I'll see what I discover. Uh, you know, it, yeah, but you, you were, I mean, you were super successful here, like you know, so one of the top ten designers in the U.S. So, what underpinned that success? What What are the the characteristics or the things that you did to achieve that? Well, in truth, you have to look at context. And at that time, I think there was it was easy to be in the top ten. I think there were only eight of us, you know, uh, and. <laughs> it, it was a very it was a very new thing that young people were starting businesses and in fashion in particular you know there was the adult market and there was the youth market and i was being interviewed by one of the major fashion publications at that time women's wear daily and my you know picture of my clothing was on the cover of the paper and they said who do you design for and i said well you know I don't want to dress like I did when I was in high school and I don't want to dress like, you know, adults. I'm designing for the contemporary market. And all of a sudden that became a thing, you know, and, and that thing has continued. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that said that, but that was the birth of the contemporary market. And that was right after Carnaby street and this explosion of fashion uh, that happened. And so there was a, there was, I was able to catch the wind in those sales to do that. And I had obviously had saleable taste because people bought the clothes. And, uh, and I looked at different things for inspiration in terms of what I did, but there was no design in place in terms of my career. And I had no idea where it was going to take me. But uh, I think one of the main things about it is I learned that the protocols of business, no matter what it is you're doing, are essentially the same thing. And so nothing seemed too hard for me to do if I was interested in it, you know, and you were in a lot of businesses, you know, how different do you find those? Or do you find that it's true that the protocols of most businesses are the same? Yeah, no, I, I say that I call it the fundamentals. And it's funny right. because I work across multiple sectors. Uh, and it doesn't matter. And people always ask me that question when I when I do various bits of work for PE firms or whatever. They say, oh, you haven't um, had any experience in, let's say, retail. And I say, well, it doesn't matter, right? Because if you look okay. at the, the, the other industries, I've never worked in manufacturing, but I've gone in there and done turnarounds in those businesses. But the thing that comes to mind as you're speaking, though, and this, is, um, this happens quite a bit with people I bring on who have been very successful, is it's the balance between being humble, which you are, and try, sort of almost suggesting that there's a lot of luck that was in play here, right? <laughs> but but I don't believe that, right? So I'm not going to let you let you go there, Jeffrey. Sorry. What was it that you did really well? Because it, it might have been that you were just really good at kind of putting yourself out there, the PR, the marketing, and and that created a brand, let's say. And your products might have been as good, or maybe not as good as the other things that were around at that time. But your marketing was better. Or it may be the opposite of that. I'm just curious. There must have been something that you did better or quicker or something like that than others at that time to be successful. Uh, I think that, you know, first of all, I don't believe in luck. Okay. What I believe is that when you're in a certain frame of mind, your opportunity antenna is up and you can recognize those opportunities and seize those opportunities. It's like there's nothing ever fell in my lap, you know, and I might recognize something that somebody else just wouldn't see because they aren't looking that way. And I think that you have to be looking for something in order to see it because there can be things right in front of you that you don't. So I think being opportunity focused, that's a big thing. Uh, it's not luck. There is some serendipity that happens. You might happen to meet somebody, but if you don't recognize that that's a good connection for you, or you don't recognize that's a potential opportunity, it's not going to go anywhere. So I don't believe that it's luck at all. Uh, I think it's being prepared, being alert, being aware and paying attention and being present so that you can recognize an opportunity and capitalize on it. 
Yeah, great. Okay, so that opens up the conversation a little bit about open and closed mindsets and things like that. Because I, my first degree was in psychology, and there's an interesting um, uh, bit of science around neural pathways that, depending on on how your um, psychology, your mindset is is let's say programmed or or set, will then determine what you see. So the opportunity, you know, let's say you and I are looking at the same thing, what we will see is different depending on, on how we've framed that and how we've thought about that. So I found that to be true with my life is opportunities have opened themselves up uh, once I have got myself into the position to see them because mm-hmm. thoughts become things. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that mindset piece, where did, did you develop that mindset of being curious, of being, you know, having that sort of presence from any influences growing up or is that something that you've always had? Uh, well, I've always, I've always been curious. I've always asked questions and have never been reluctant to ask questions. My parents encouraged that. Uh, I always read books. Uh, I always wrote stories and drew things. And so I was always, you know, had an active mind, so to speak. And so I was, I, I was always attracted to things that I found interesting and finding them interesting, even as an adult had nothing to do with whether or not I could make money at it. It's wow, this is cool. You know, (laughs) and you know, I, I wanted to do that. And so uh, business principles, of course, come into it once you are turning that into a career or into a pursuit. But uh, I think that it's more, again, it's about being aware and determining your direction based on what your desires are. You know, you're talking about what are called heuristics. How does your brain process information? And, you know, I've always had a curious mind. And, you know, I've been teaching at Parsons for the last 17 years, something like that, 14 years. Uh, and teaching is a great way to learn. And I've always been hungry to learn things. Uh, I just like it. I don't think I say to my students, there are no boring subjects, but there are a lot of boring teachers. And I try not to be one. Yeah, I can, I can remember my days at <laughs> university. It's funny, actually, one of the best teachers I ever had, I went to INSEAD, the business school, and uh, there was a guy who spoke, um, Kevin Kaiser. He was a finance professor, but it came from, came from the kind of world of business, had, had been involved in hedge funds and things like that. So he wasn't just an academic. And uh, he did an eight-hour class one day where he put up four slides and was talking about net present value for eight hours straight. In fact, there wasn't really a break. I don't even remember having a lunch break. It was like, you know, just go out and grab something, come back in. But he told, he told the lesson or taught the lesson as a story, talked about the trade wars and the Spanish bullion and all this sort of stuff. And then at the very end of the day, literally that eight hours, he wrote up the equation and net present value. And it, to this day, I've never forgotten that lesson. It was just that good, right? Of what could be a relatively dry subject. So yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, and, and 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 the thing is, is that we relate and retain through story, and you know because you remember how things make you feel, and those are the things you know whether you're listening. I guess the simplest example of that is when you listen to music from a particular time in your life, you're transported back to that time. And yes. uh, so, uh, you know, it, it is story is an incredible way to deliver information in a way that sticks. And I'm just going to adjust my shade here. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. As I said, we might have some hailstones coming in on my side. So uh, wh- where actually are you uh, in the US right now, Jeffrey? I, I am in New York City. Ah, great. Okay, excellent. One of my favorite places. Mine <laughs> well, this too. is a good, um, a good segue in because we're talking about stories now. I think it's a nice segue into kind of what you did next and moving into this more kind of production documentaries, commercials, and also some of the stuff you've done with private equity. Cause I love this idea of creating brand stories for companies that are either on the pathway to an exit or about to be sold. How did you transition into that part of your career from what you were doing with fashion design? Uh, to, to give you a really quick edit of the story. Uh, and again, this is, 
this is the kind of serendipity, but then recognizing opportunity. One of the fabric places I bought from, the owner of that company was a very nice man. And he said to me, do you know anything about the movie business? And I said, not really. I've read some books. I like film, but I don't know much about it. And he said, well, look, you're my son's age. He's gotten involved with some people and he's not going to listen to me. You've got a good business head on your shoulders. Would you mind meeting him? I said, no, I'd be happy to meet him. And his, his son had bought the rights to William Burroughs, if you know who William Burroughs is. Uh, William Burroughs is one of the seminal writers of what's called in the United States, the beat generation. So, oh, okay. so his, his most famous book was called naked lunch. And this book was called junkie. And uh, this guy's that all the sort of Jack, the Jack Kerouac type of stuff. That's that, right. That, that's right. Got same milieu, same people. And uh, yeah. so his son had bought the rights to that, was working with William Burroughs and Dennis Hopper, who, if you know the actor Dennis oh. Hopper. Yeah. And Dennis. Easy right had, fan. That's right. That's right. And yeah. Dennis had uh, just finished doing Apocalypse Now. And so he he was a he was an interesting guy. Uh, and he was going to be directing and starring in the film. And uh, Terry Southern who wrote Magic Christian and uh, another interesting guy. Uh, and all of a sudden I'm involved with these people. And it was really interesting for a while. Uh, they were also highly dysfunctional. And, uh, you know, but it, it gave me a taste of the music, business, of, of the film business. And uh, I was working with them for a couple of months uh, my business advice ended up being uh, to Tommy, who is the son, look, you've put together this team and they're going to push you out. And he said, what do you mean? I said, they don't need you anymore. He said, but it's my, it's, I own the rights to it. And I said, you do, but they're never going to make a film. That's not never going to happen. And I want it to happen. Dennis offered me a supporting part in the movie. So I thought, oh, this could be cool. I could be in a, this movie. But it became clear that when you do massive amounts of alcohol and cocaine, you don't get a lot done. And that's what they were doing. <laughs> and I said, they're yeah, I can see that. That would take you to a certain, uh, maybe a slightly different direction in your life if you hung out with those guys for too long. Yeah, it's called rehab. <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly right. Exactly. Got it. 100%. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, that is what happened. And they offered him money. And I said, how long have you owned the rights to this? And he said, eight months. I said, eight months and you're tripling your money. And it's never going to get made anyhow. Take the money, which is what, what he ended up doing. Uh, but that whetted my appetite for the storytelling in the film. And Junkie was an interesting book. And, you know, and I really dove into it because Dennis wanted me to play a part in the movie. And I thought that would be cool. He and I hit it off. He was an interesting guy. Did you ever uh, do that part? Did you ever move into the other side of the camera, so to speak? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, but that started my transition because I met people through that experience that started me into uh, production. So I taught myself how to direct, shoot, edit, light, and all those kinds of things. And I loved it because, to me, it used what I considered to be my creative assets in a fuller and more fulfilling way than designing clothes did. So again, I was seduced by the ideas and the potential and I had sold my company and decided to do that. Did you sell your company as, a, as part of this introduction into this new world or were you already thinking that you wanted to make a change? Uh, I was, well, I was selling the company, but <clears throat> that's a, whole other story uh but i was i was selling the company to get well financed <clears throat> and i had started a second company and was selling it to a german company that wanted to start acquisitions in the united states and so i was going to be one of their early purchases in the united states because they wanted to have a foothold in fashion here 
<clears throat> and um, that's a whole other story, but I did sell the company to them and uh, ended up, you know, leaving that company. Uh, and, you know, what's, we have, a, if we do a mini series, I'll tell you that story, but uh, I, I, I then really wanted to do the film when I got, when I was exposed and saw all the different ways that I could be collaborating people with people, telling stories in a more full way that I wanted to do and all of that. Okay. I mean, I, I'd love to go into the other stuff, but I want to stay focused <laughs> on this because, because the whole experience of, I mean, I've been involved in selling companies for years. So I'm curious about why you changed, but let's, let's keep, keep on this track. So, so then you got obviously involved with working some, some pretty well-known brands, Ralph Lauren, Victoria's Secret, <clears throat> Tiffany, as, as is mentioned. And so were you always working then on, on more the commercial side of things? Um, obviously you started off that, that uh, film with Dennis Hopper was probably not, not what I'm getting at here. I'm thinking more the fact you've now moved into, into as you said, commercials, documentaries, content for brands. Well, I'd be curious about how you went into that. Well, one of the things that, that, I realized is that, you know, every season, the major designers had fashion shows yep. and those fashion shows, they would see still pictures, you know, from the photographers out front, they'd see the still pictures. The designer was always backstage. So they didn't see the actual show. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if they could see the fashion show? Because, you know, they would rely on their people to tell them about audience reaction and whatever. And of course, everybody's more concerned about their job than the truth or upsetting the designer saying, well, you know, they weren't really getting into that. Uh, so uh, offering, coming up with the idea of shooting the fashion show, you know, filming it so they could not only watch it, they could have it playing in their showroom before people came in for buying appointments. They could use it at point of purchase in stores. And again, this wasn't, now it's incredibly commonplace, but back then, uh, this was in the late seventies, it was not commonplace at all. And so it really kind of caught fire in terms of, you know, producing these fashion shows and shooting them. And it was a great, great marketing device you know, for the uh, fashion companies. So something just comes to mind as you're speaking again about this part of your career, because you mentioned beforehand that there weren't that many fashion designers. So to be in the top 10 was what it was. Young ones, but yes. Now, but now you're, now you're talking about, again, another, I'm going to use the word pioneering or trailblazing, maybe another way of saying it, as being, you know, one of the first, again, to see an opportunity to have, you know, maybe that intuitive piece and that, that's just that's just interesting to me that you again you describe it as if you know you were present you were curious but at the same time you're you're, you're really making change have you have you have you reflected on this you know uh, the part that I've reflected on is you know when I think about filmmakers writers uh, musicians that have affected me you know, I think about that and why was I attracted, you know, to those people and, and what they did and what separated them from others and what separated them from others is that there was something that was unique about what they did. And it wasn't a calculation like I didn't calculate uh, how I might do something like that, but I did recognize that that could be a unique expression. That and that, which is much more manifest, for instance, in the in the play that I'm doing, but um, I, I, so I, I didn't really think. Oh, here's a great business calculus. There's a lot of fashion shows happening. They're not being recorded. I could make money doing that. I didn't think about it that way. It seemed to me that okay, here's a problem. The designer never sees their show happen live. How could they see it? Because this could be an incredible tool for them for feedback, but also for marketing. So I think this is a smart thing to do. And I think that there's a business here. And of course, the main thing about a business, and this goes back to my designing days, is you can't be the only one in love with your idea. 
So when I started off and, and I was designing clothes, the first thing that I did was put some of the stuff I designed into the store where I worked and it sold out immediately. And so I got the sewers to sew some other stuff and it sold out immediately. And then I got a line put together, put it on the back of my motorcycle, drove to Chicago, went to 18 stores, and I think sold 14 of those stores. And all of a sudden I had like $55,000 worth of orders, but I had proof of concept. People wanted to buy what I was selling. So it's more, it's more been about that. And, you know, you can't be, again, the only one in love with what you're doing. And I think proof of concept is incredibly important in business because that just shows you whether you've got something that people want. Yeah, well, and that, that I call that concept these days, you know, have a, a marketing first um, ideology, if you like. In other words, go out there and see if there really is a problem that exists and work out whether you can solve that problem before going and, you know, buying heaps of widgets from China and sitting them in a factory, so in, a, in a warehouse somewhere, expecting that people are going to come. But I, I want to go into kind of the creativity piece, if that's okay, and particularly this idea of creative careers, because, I mean, there's, there's been so many things you've said, but I want to contextualize that now into maybe some principles, because I think people listening to this are thinking, this is fascinating, because there's lots of, I'm, ju I'm just probing different insights to understand exactly how your life is, has become what it has become. But if you think about it now, this idea that you, you've made a very successful living from your ideas, how do you then advise and teach this? Or what are the lessons that people who are maybe thinking about a change and they want to do something they're more passionate about, how do they start to even, even just correlate that? Well, I think that people have to be motivated uh, or inspired in some way because uh, most people are very adverse to risk. And so you have to look at assessing the kind of risk. So if you're in a particular, if I'm understanding your, your question, you know, if you're, if you're in a job and you've always wanted to do X, but you need a certain amount of income uh, you know, the old golden handcuffs, if you will, even if they're not so gold, uh, you know, the, the fear of the unknown, the fear of taking that chance. So how do you overcome the fear and doubt in order to move forward? And I think that it, there's a spectrum of risk. And what I mean by that is if you look at one being essentially no risk at all, 10 being catastrophic, you've ruined your life kind of risk, you know, uh, most things when you look at them are like in the three or four range. Uh, they aren't big risks, but we build them up as such. And I knew that I did not want to have regret. I knew that I didn't want to figure, you know, God, I wish I would have done that. Uh, because the sure way to make sure that nothing happens is to do nothing. You know, you can always talk yourself out of doing things or just by omission and time passes. I mean, I used to have a full head of hair and it was dark hair. You know, I mean, time passes. <laughs> and uh, and I think as we get older, it passes faster and faster. And so for whatever reason, and I think, again, a lot of it was just, you know, with with my parents, encouraging they never discouraged me from anything i wanted to do they may not have understood it they didn't understand filmmaking uh they didn't even really understand when i was doing the clothing manufacturing and the scale that i was working at because it was bigger than their little retail stores uh but they always encouraged me and supported me and i think that that's huge and i think that there's a lot of damage that's done to people when they're quite young. And it can be by parents, it can be by teachers, it can even be by peers where people are less and less willing to take a risk to put a creative idea out there because they're afraid that they're going to be humiliated in some way. And I think that it's really important that people be somehow motivated or inspired 
to take that risk by doing a realistic assessment of, of what that risk is, as realistic as you can, because you never really know what's going to happen. And I think that, and that's what I've done, you know, in terms of, in terms of that. Uh, and as, I, as we were talking earlier, when I spoke about, you know, your concerns change when I got married, when I had kids, there's all of a sudden a whole other level of responsibility and expenses that go along with that, that you need to maintain if you're going to be a responsible adult. So, you know, it's not like, oh, follow your bliss. It's not that at all, you know, because unless you're born into a lot of money, uh, you know, you got to figure out how can you make that money to sustain what it is you want to do. There, there is a, I suppose, a thought that, that people have, which is if you absolutely love what you do, right, and you're good at it, it doesn't really matter what it is. You will, you'll be successful at it. And that also means financially because it won't really feel like work. Yeah, that's, do you believe in that? No. Uh, you know, I think if you are fortunate enough to make a living doing what you love doing and that you have the stomach for the roller coaster ride that entrepreneurship is, because it is, and very few people speak honestly about the struggles that are involved in that. And it's hard, you know, and sometimes I'd be doing great. And other times I'm thinking, oh man, how am I going to make payroll, <laughs> you know, and everything in between. And I think that, uh, so it's not everything will work out. Now everything does work out. You have to work at it in order for it to work out. And so I, th I think that, you know, am I following my passions and in, in, in doing a play? Yeah, I am. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple of things involved there. I have a realistic assessment of what's involved. And uh, I have made sure that my financial responsibilities to my family can be met. And so, you know, there are things that free you up to take let's say bigger risks. Uh, there is nothing prudent about writing a play, hoping it's going to be produced and hoping it makes money. You know, that's like a five to eight year process to bring something to life. It's, it's not easy at all, but the satisfaction for me in now having a theater deal in collaborating with incredibly talented people and telling a story that I think is so important to tell, that motivates me. And I'm going into this with my eyes wide open because I have enough life experience to know it's gonna be hard. And I think that the main thing in terms of you know success, however you define it, is perseverance because it's hard. And you have to persevere. You are going to have obstacles. You are going to have setbacks. And you have to learn how to deal with that, hopefully in a way that is healthy and that can eventually move you forward. But it's going to be happening. And I, and I think there's a lot of mythology and romance around entrepreneurship and creating value, which is horseshit. Tell you what I believe, right? I believe that you can have your best day and your worst day, and it's sometimes the same day. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I reference, I reference two things just to again reflect on what you said. I think that was very well put, and and I want to underline a number of things. I think for people who are now listening to this or will be listening to this, you know, one one is, and this is this is my experience, right? So I went from. Well, I'm not going to call it safe because it wasn't safe really. And, and I think if the last 12 months has, has taught us anything that a job is never safe, right? But there was the, that was the, the message that I was given growing up by my family. Entrepreneurship equals bad equals pain. Uh, getting a job in a, in a large company, a corporate or whatever equals security, right? And that was, that was my upbringing. That was my programming. And so when I eventually realized that wasn't the path for me, and I went into this more entrepreneurial you know, adventure, I didn't realize that, A, firstly, it was the roller coaster. No, no appreciation of the fact that it felt like that, right? And you get, you get more comfortable being uncomfortable the more you're in it. 
And, and the second thing is, and this is something I say a lot to people, is you've really got to love or certainly become very comfortable again with the journey, right? You've got, to, you've got to be really, really enjoy that part as best you possibly can because that is what entrepreneurship is. A lot of people think it's the destination, whatever that is, but actually it's not. The destination is something that comes from, you know, to your point, the persistence, the, the focus, the grit, the resilience that right. you, you, know, you put in day in, day out to get there. Oh, absolutely. That's what I believe. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Powerful. Well, let's, let's, um, let's finish off our conversation just talking a little bit more about what you're doing now. And again, I want to reference the idea about, you know, you teach this, this concept or you certainly are inspiring people around making a living from your ideas. What, what are some of the key things that you, that you teach is your message around this? Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that if you're going to be a dentist or an accountant or move into private equity, nobody says what's your fallback position, you know, but if you decide to write, to act, to paint, to be a musician or whatever, what's your fallback position? Well, I think your fallback position is your own intelligence, resourcefulness, savvy, and uh, the ability again, to persevere, to figure out ways over, under, around, or through obstacles to get what you want. So you have to decide also, aside from defining success for yourself, it's also about what do you want and what are you willing to do to get it? And I think those are really big questions. And I know what I want. I want to have that ability to express through, in this case, the play, which is what I'm working on. And that that's really important to me because I think it's such an, I think the story is so important. And the story takes place at the crossroads of the civil rights movement, the youth movement, and the birth of rock and roll. So it's about popular culture. It's about music. It's about race. All these things that are, to me, very important. And that's a huge motivator that I get to tell that kind of story that I'm able to assemble the talents to help me tell that story and do that. So I think that you have to, it, it's not about platitudes of following your dream or going for your passion. It's really having an idea of, of even what that is, you know, what are you going for? And, and and, and how, what does success look like to you? And what are you willing to put up with, you know, to get yeah, there? That to tolerance, there. as you said. And, for, and with, the, with, with this project, with the Lloyd Price musical, what, what is, I mean, I'm going to say what is success to you because obviously you're still in the process of doing it, but what would, what would that feel like? If you, if you, let's say you've already achieved whatever the end of this is. So it's, it, you've got this thing out there. It's, it's, it's people are going to it. They learn the lesson, the message is there. If you're looking back from that position, what is success for you then? So success for me is the creating the opportunity to do more things that I want to do. So, got it. you know, there's another play that I want to do. If I have a successful play, I'll be able to do another play. And so that's interesting to me. Now, of course, I hope if it's successful that it's generating income for me so that I can go and do something else that's not going to blossom into something, you know, quickly. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, it's always about, so what's going to create new opportunities that are cool that I can do? And that's really what's the most meaningful to me. And if I can, if, if as a result of the play's success, it generates the revenue for me that gives me choices and options. And a big thing in business, I think, is also in terms of my definition of success, business-wise, is the ability to say no without catastrophic financial circumstances. You know? <laughs> yeah, and no, I get that. I get that. And, and, uh, and, I, and the reason I'm, I'm, I've had a few uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, hairs on ends. Uh, feelings as our conversation has gone on because some of the things you've said I've experienced in different ways. But uh, yeah, um, I want to finish up with just a couple of quick fire questions, um, if that's okay. Sure. Um, sure. The first one, again, this is just, it's off the cuff as well, but it's if, if you were standing, 
let's say you were the, the guest speaker at a university graduation and you had to go up there and you had to, you know, advise if you like, or offer one perspective to everyone who's graduating that year and they're about to go into the world, let's say. What's, what's the one thing that you'd want to say to them? Don't be afraid. Stay curious. Keep learning. And apply those things as fuel to move, your for, to move yourself forward. Be fueled by curiosity and a desire to learn. And don't be frightened. Don't be afraid of taking chances. Most, most risks are not that big. I liked what you said previously about, you know, if you did that inventory, you know, the, the risk is probably really a three or a four. It's not an eight or a nine. Right. Um, but most people in their minds create it as much higher. I love that. Okay, last couple of questions. Who throughout your career has had the biggest influence on you? Well, I, probably my biggest influence was my parents. You know, and of course, I didn't realize that as I was growing up. But I realized that, you know, looking back and realizing that they never tried to direct me in a particular way, that they always supported me emotionally uh, in terms of doing what I wanted to do. And so I never felt that I had to live up to something. Uh, I had to live. And living was just being fully engaged in whatever it was that I was doing. And I've tried to do that with my kids is, you know, they determine their own direction. You know, what do you want your kid to be? I was speaking to other, this is a little bit longer, but I was talking to some other parents at my kid's high school graduation some years ago. And uh, one of the other parents, this was their senior year, and there's a cocktail party for parents and kids. And, and one of the fathers comes up to me and said, I look this whole evening, you've just been out there talking to the, to the kids. Why don't you come over? have a drink with us. I said, cause I really like talking to them cause they're about to embark on this whole journey and you already think, you know, everything. So they're a lot more interesting than you are, you know, <laughs> no, I get it. that of course won it. him <laughs> over that it won him over immediately, you know, but I love the, People love it when you're honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that these, that these, Kids are about to be catapulted into the world, moving away from their parents, heading towards college. And, it's, and I remember what an exciting time of life that was. So I wanted to hear what they were hoping for and what they were foreseeing as, as their future. And uh, I'm sure in your private equity world, you heard enough people talking about deals. And that's not so interesting to me. You know, that's the reason I know. <laughs> reason I got out. Well, hey, listen, I, I don't. I don't look back. I, I look at that whole experience for me as a massive gift because it taught me what I, well, firstly, what I was capable of in that world, which is a pretty cutthroat world. But also, it gave me the, uh, the feeling, if you like, to then work out I needed to do something different. Had I had I have not gone through that experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And so you learn skills it, as a result. Oh, you learn yeah. business survival skills as a result. Absolutely. And to go back on what you said there about your parents. So my parents were great, but they just didn't know necessarily what, what to advise other than what they had experienced, you know, what was right for me. So for them, it was more about you will do this, not that you have the choice. So just to give you this, this short piece, because I could talk forever with you, <laughs> is today my nine-year-old had to go to school. Um, schools have opened back up here in the UK from the whole COVID lockdown. And I have uh, some quotes on my wall. Just, just various things that I like. One's from Kobe Bryant, and there's another one, which is a longer statement about what life is. And, and she said to me today, she said, oh, Dad, can I take those two prints, those two paintings to school today? And I was like, well, you read them. She goes, yeah, I read them every day. It's great. And I was like, I had no appreciation of that, but I, it made me reflect that, you know, your environment is everything. And a lot of those quotes are about uh, impossible is nothing, Right. And, and I was just thinking back that I didn't quite have that message. And I'm really, again, grateful that I can provide that for my kids. And it's, it's really, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. And, the, and the, the thing about it is, is you forget not only as a parent, but as a friend uh, and as a teacher, 
the impact that something to you, which is quite casual, may have on somebody else because of what they're going through at that particular moment. And a really fulfilling thing to me is when I'll get an email five years after somebody's graduated saying how the class changed their life. And they were reflecting on that and they just wanted to thank me. And it's like, oh, that's why I teach. You know, that's great. And I, and I, and I, I love that. And like with your kids, you had no idea that she was reading that and it had that impact on a daily basis. And she wanted to share that. I mean, that's wonderful. I know. I know. It's, it's sometimes uh, you, you catch yourself sometimes. <laughs> and, that, and this morning was one of those moments. So, well, listen, um, two, two, two last questions. The, the second to last one is um, where can people reach out to you, Jeffrey? Um, obviously, you've got your book, Creative Careers, um, and you've got a podcast coming. Is that correct? I do, uh, but I haven't launched it yet. But I do have a <laughs> podcast I'm going to be doing. Uh, and, and basically, it's to share ideas and hopefully inspire, educate, and entertain people. And I'm already creating the content for my class. So it's for the same motivation of writing a book is I want to get those ideas out there to a wider audience. Right. Okay. So you haven't got a launch date for that yet, I take it? Uh, I don't. I think it's going to probably be towards the end of March this month okay uh, so pretty cool okay got it because i i um it's funny before i launched this two years ago I, I recorded something like 10 to 15 episodes and then i just sat on those episodes for about six months uh-huh. <laughs> lots of reasons behind that but it was mainly am i really going to do this am i really going to put this out into the world because a lot of those first 10 episodes were my story and a lot of the stuff I, if, to be to be really frank it was it was me being cathartic you know, if you like, that's what I had to get out. But um, well, that's fine. Well, if you've got a name for that, we'll make sure we we put that into the show notes. And then, where can people reach out to you um, if they want to get in touch or anything like that? So you can uh, a few different ways. There's a Creative Careers website, which is a creativecareer.com, and a Creative Careers Instagram, which is also at a creative career. And you can see clips from the class and quotes from the guests and all of that. And then there's Madoff, M-A-D-O-F-F, just like it's there on the screen, productions.com. And you can see my uh, film and video work on that. And uh, LinkedIn, you know, I'm, I'm there. I post, uh, again, quotes from my class, you know, from the guests and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I also started doing something where I have a, I have a Instagram site. It's just at Jeff underscore Madoff, where I walk around New York and just take pictures of New York life and oh, things wow. around because it's the city is just this kaleidoscopic banquet of visuals and sounds. And I just love it. And there is uh, the, my motivation for doing that was I love doing photography, but it was more about, I wanted to keep my visual chops active. So I go out and make sure that I'm taking pictures all the time, you know, to do that. So uh, I would fun. say there's no better place to do that. I've, I've uh, run the New York marathon before and I've been to, you know, many of the different places around both uh, the city and, and the out, the outlying areas, different boroughs. And it's, ama- it's amazing. You're, it's very eclectic. And I think that's one of the, the beauties of that city for sure. Oh, it is. I, lo- I love it. Final question for you, um, which is this is this is this is the interesting one, right? So, jump forward a hundred years when you're not around, right? None of us are around potentially. Um, what do you want people to say about you if they're looking back and they're thinking of Jeffrey Madoff? Uh, <laughs> since I won't be able to hear it, I don't. It doesn't kind of make much <laughs> difference. Uh, it doesn't make much. Yeah, you know, you'd like to you'd like to maybe think it was nice, maybe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you made a difference. I, I I guess that I would like uh, people to say, "Wow, he was uh, he was a good friend and a good person, and I hope a good father and good husband." Well, that's the stuff that really matters in the end, isn't it? I think it matters not just at the end. I think it matters all the way through. And nothing else that you have to persevere through because that's not always easy either. 
No, no, I know. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, Jeffrey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Scale Up Your Business. As I promised you from our our pre-roll conversation, it's kind of about business, but it's kind of just about other stuff. (laughs) So hopefully you've now had the experience. So uh, I just want to thank you for your time. You've been very generous with that. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.